If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Moms Talk Autism. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Kristen Wegner. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. Okay, we are so excited today to talk to Dr. Kristen Wagner. Uh, we are going to refer to her as Kristen from now on because that's what she prefers and we'll make it more conversational that way anyway. So welcome. We're so glad to have you here um, and we want to pick your brain today. How are you doing? I am doing so well and just am thrilled to be here. I've wanted to be on this podcast since the first time I found it. So excited to, to meet you all. Virtually. Awesome. Yes, virtually. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, we cannot meet in person. We're all all over the place. Where are you located? I'm in Wisconsin. Awesome. Okay. So we've got Shannon on today with me. Hey, guys. Shannon's in Arizona and little Miss Brittany here. That's me. I'm in California. So we're we're all over the place here this, this <laughs> week on this episode, but that's the joy and beauty of, you know, the internet. So... We can all connect this way. Um, we're just going to give a little bit of an introduction of yourself, Kristen, and tell us um, tell us about how you got involved in the field of expertise that you're in. Sure. It, it's a long story, so I'll try mm-hmm. not to drone on too much. Um, but I, I'm neurodivergent, and even when I was in high school, I knew I didn't want to be an engineer, which was the career path that had been selected for me, but I didn't know what else to do. So I went to college to study engineering. And fortunately, my sophomore year, I just, I took a leap and um, left the University of Minnesota and went to a small school in Wisconsin and got a bachelor's degree in vocational rehabilitation, which was like the best job I could have possibly had because for the next five years, I worked as a case manager for a welfare reform program. So I learned about poverty. I learned about everything there was to learn about the world that as this privileged white 
person who grew up in a middle class, you know, Midwest family had no idea about. And then in the meantime, I was volunteering for Special Olympics, you know, many, many hours a week and realized how much I loved that. And so along with those two things, I realized I, I wanted to work with children with, with special needs, but that I wanted to work with young children because I saw what happened when their parents grew up without the supports and accommodations they needed. So at that point, I went back to school and got my master's degree in education and was teaching as an early childhood special ed teacher. And this is in the 90s, 1990s. And I met a little guy in my classroom that had autism. And he would come back to school and know things that I hadn't taught him and was just like, what is happening? Because I'm a really good teacher. And where is he learning these things? Well, it turns out he was getting ABA and I have a master's degree in education and had never heard of ABA. So, and again, we're talking, you know, 1990s. So at the time, relatively new. Um, And so I, I learned about it, really fell in love with ABA parts of ABA. And so I started teaching part-time and working part-time as a, at the time was called a senior therapist for this behavioral company. Long story short, I only loved certain aspects of ABA and really despised other aspects of ABA. And fast forward a couple years and was fired from this job because I, quote, was a square peg and my boss could not fit me into the round hole, even though she squished and squeezed. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great moment in my life. Um, but all that did was fuel my, my passion even more. So um, I went back to school, got my PhD, and it, that's in clinical psychology and opened my own practice um, so that in my mind, I could do ABA the right way. And so we can talk a lot about, you know, what that means. Um, And the last 20 years, I have been doing a variety of different things. Um, Right now, I'm primarily doing diagnostic assessments um, and doing what I call focus therapy, just some short-term therapy for children while they're um, on a wait list to move into another type of therapy or for children that a intensive or comprehensive form of ABA would not be appropriate for. Um, And then kind of in my spare time over the last couple of years, I wrote a children's book series, which we might talk about later as well. In all your spare time. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I being neurodivergent, like so many of our kids, I don't sleep much. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm up at three every morning and I've always have been. And I just, you know, so my, my passion is my work. My special interest is my work. And um, so I, I put everything I have into it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. We would love to talk more. Let's, let's focus on that ABA and and the parts that you loved and the parts that you didn't, um, and 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 then how you've kind of developed your own—I don't know—I want to say version, but 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 your own flavor of of what you think is appropriate for you know autistic children in general. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, there's there's so much misunderstanding, and people say ABA just like I did, and really are talking about DTT or discrete trial training, and. Mm-hmm. When we look at this pendulum and we look at the adults who received um, ABA therapy in the 1990s, who are, you know, these these young people who are now the voices of the revolt against ABA, 
they were traumatized and they were traumatized because ABA at the time was focused on recovery. And we can talk for quite a long time about why that is. But if you look at the scope of what autism, how autism developed over the years and what people understood about autism in, in the 1980s and 90s, having a recovery or having a child be indistinguishable from their peers was preferred to an institutionalization or even worse that was happening in, in, in some places. Um, but the way about it was not positive um, because people that didn't understand neurodivergence would force eye contact and would force compliance and would um, punish self-stimulatory behaviors. And so those three things right there are the biggest downfalls of oh, what we could call old ABA or bad ABA. Um, anybody that is not allowing a person to be their authentic self is doing something wrong. Um, so as far as what what I wanted to change was the um, autonomy, wanting a person to, especially the child, since I was working with children, to be the, themselves. And if that meant they were stimming, they were stimming. And I'm going to use what they are interested in and what they are doing as what I'm going to work with, as opposed to some artificial reinforcer um, that you know, I'm going to say, do this and clap my hands and then give them a cookie. It has nothing to do and they're not going to learn. Um, so the other problem is the manualization. And the bigger ABA got, the more manualized it has become. And now we have just protocols after protocols and, and every single child in, in a what again, what I consider a bad ABA, follows the same exact protocols that another child would. And those are based, here's another problem, they're, they're based, if we're doing the ABLES or we're doing the VB map, those are based on neurotypical development. And we know that so many autistic learners are gestalt learners, and they're not going to process or develop language as a neurotypical child would. So why would we try to utilize these neurotypical verbal maps to teach our autistic learners? It, it just doesn't make sense. We have to understand how each child operates and each how each child um, functions for themselves and meet them where they're at. And so those are kind of the, the downsides or the, the bad parts about ABA. But when we look at what ABA, ABA is on the big picture, we look before LOVAS. I mean, LOVAS used DTT to discrete trial training to manualize and develop this specific program that kind of, you know, took off. But if we look at the actual meaning of ABA, applied behavior analysis, analyzing a behavior is what we want to be doing. So I have a child who came in last week and is distressed. I, I, I don't care that she's kicking. I don't care that she's throwing. Something is wrong. And 
as a good behavior analyst, I need to analyze what that is. Now, as a bad behavior analyst, I'm going to do a manualized protocol and say, I gave an instruction. I need to enforce that instruction. And so I said, sit down, and I'm going to make her sit down. That's garbage. That's not a good behavior analyst. Good behavior analyst is going to say, all right, I said sit down, and she started getting upset. What's going on here? And I, you know, first I'm going to text, you know, mom or dad or grandma and say, hey, did Susie eat this morning? You know, did Johnny sleep poorly? Because I need to figure out, oh, she's hungry. And so I said, sit down. And she doesn't have the words to communicate that she needs a snack and she's hungry. Um, you know, maybe she didn't sleep well and she's tired. And so she she can't cognitively um, do the task that I'm asking her to do. But as a good behavior analyst, we're looking beyond, oh, this child is escaping my behavior or my demand to why is the child not able to. Um, so not a non-compliance, not a refusal, but a actual reason why. And once we do that, then instead of enforcing some demand that doesn't even make sense, we can say, oh, I need to help her to communicate that she wants a snack or she wants a rest or whatever it is else that she wants. Maybe she was watching a show in the in the car and it got shut off in the middle and she needs to finish that show. I mean, there's so many just so many things that it could be. But once you analyze it and figure it out, then I can put on her communication board or I can give her the words or whatever it is so she can communicate. I want a snack. I want to eat. I want the beanbag. I want my movie. And and so we can actually teach those replacement behaviors. And Behavior analysts use these things. They just, again, use them in such, not everybody, because there's lots and lots and lots of behavior analysts like me and really good ABA programs. So so I'm. there just are some that are very stuck in a manualized, you know, I gave a demand, I have to enforce the demand or, um, you know, whatever that manualized situation is. Um, so I've been talking now forever. So I'm just going to pause so no, that no. <laughs> this is how it usually goes. I apologize, listeners. I can get on a subject and go and go and go and go. Um, but I can't even remember what your question was. So I'll pause and um, <laughs> let you guys <laughs> figure out where we want to go from here. I'm intrigued. So I'm just sitting here. I'm just like because, sitting here absorbing yeah. all of this. And this yeah. is exactly, you're answering the question perfectly. So don't, no worries about that. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating that I, we, I think Shannon and I, I can speak for both of us, we both mm-hmm. agree with exactly what you're saying, that there is good at ABA out there. And the principle behind ABA is sound, but the execution isn't necessarily done correctly. And it needs to be individualized, like you were saying. And I think a, a big problem for me with ABA, um, just my own personal experience, is the company, the overall like vision of it is good. And we need, there are some behaviors where a discrete trial training is appropriate, like potty training, for instance, that, that can be a good tool for that kind of thing when you're trying to uh, teach a very specific thing that needs to be done a very specific way. But you get these, so you have a a BCBA, right? The person that's in charge of their program and writing these goals and they are teaching the people underneath them, they're RBTs. And typically RBTs are young college students, mm-hmm. you know, barely out of high school, maybe received a couple weeks of training before mm-hmm. they're sent out into quote the field, which is <laughs> my house. And 
they have no clue what to do other than follow exactly what they've been told step by step, one, two, three, four, five. And if if my child deviates from those exact steps that this young, you know, teen or early 20s person has been told to do, they don't know how to take that next step and be like, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're da-da-da, all those things that you were saying. Um, because you've been trained properly and you have the experience. Um, so that's where it really is tough. And uh, and being maybe, especially if you're starting out, you know, brand new diagnosis, you get into an ABA program as a parent, you have no clue that maybe you need to step in or help them or, you know, just about as much as that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that young and, young person is. And, and so, so well said, Brittany. And and really that comprehensive, intensive DTT type of ABA intervention, who it's best for is actually not the toilet training, not the kids ah, with those okay. behavior issues. It's the kids that have the lagging skills that have, maybe they were diagnosed at three or four and their autism robbed them of tuning into the salient parts of language and cognition. And so they are two years behind their peers, but don't have a cognitive impairment. So testing, Ah, they're showing two years behind. And this is where Lovas and all of his studies, why he showed 20, 30 point gains on IQ tests is because the children that he was working with were all children who scored initially in a cognitively impaired range. And then after their intensive ABA scored 20, 30 points higher, not because they gained 30 IQ points. It's because when they were tested, when they started, they weren't able to utilize their cognition and their language because they had this gap. And so this manualized protocol where we're going to teach all of these cognitive skills in a very systematic, appropriate way works beautifully for those children because they can sit at the table and I can teach them, you know, 10 nouns this week, 10 nouns next week, 20 verbs, and I can help them so that they understand that this is a basket and this is a basket and this is a basket because their brain doesn't understand why are all these things called basket, but they're different. So we can do sorting and say a basket, a basket, a basket, a basket, a basket, a shirt, a shirt, a shirt, a shirt, because those are the kids are going to call a sweatshirt a sweatshirt. It's not a shirt. No, you're wearing a tank top, Shannon. You're not wearing a shirt. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we can help them with those classifications. Those are the kids that those behavior techs, technicians, the RBTs can work with. Mm-hmm. Got it. Those are the kids I refer for comprehensive therapy. Those kids that have, or young adults or anybody else that's actually having complex behavior needs, needs somebody not not somebody with a bachelor's degree, not somebody, you know, either very high master's or a doctorate that really can invest their time in doing those underlying. Now, toilet training on a basic level, fine. But for toilet training for those kids that have some major fears or are really struggling with interoception and and, and it's just not going to matter, you need that that more... 
like you said, um, both both educated and experienced. And and I know this for myself when, you know, after 10 years of my own practice, I had, I don't know, five, um, I had a bunch of BCBAs, I had five senior therapists, I had, I don't know, 30, 35 behavior technicians. And what I saw was what I wanted getting watered down, watered down, watered down. And when I would go and see visit those kids, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't because of everything that you just said. And and it's actually why I then built my own clinic and started doing clinic-based programming as opposed to doing in-home, because then I could have video cameras in all of my rooms. I could see everything that was happening. They would hear me. I used to wear high heels. They'd hear me clicking down the hallways and everybody would be like, oh no, she's coming. <laughs> because I could jump in right away and be like, not that you're doing it wrong, but mm-hmm. no, 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 no. You're not going to make that kid sit in that chair. That's not, you know, because they just can't see it. Um, and so it, 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 ABA works, DTT works, but you have to know what your child needs and make sure that that programming is matching for what they need, which unfortunately means that the parent has to become even more of an expert than they already are. You know, you just mm-hmm. get this autism diagnosis. Now you have to understand what gestalt language processing mm-hmm. is and you have to understand all these you know RBT BCBA like whoa, oh my gosh and you have to learn all of this and then you're supposed to be able to lead these other people I mean it's it blow I, I, I my hats go off to you parents every single every day of my life <laughs> well and we just feel lucky to have providers who understand you know like that's the thing because sometimes you'll work with a provider who just really honestly has no idea and there's two things that I want to bring up just because they will literally fly out of my head if I don't I want to touch on <laughs> one thing being like demands and then I want to touch on another thing being parent empowerment So, Brittany, hold on to those two things for me because I might forget one. Okay. All right. I got Um, you. I think, and in my household, so I... I have a 17-year-old who I was a single mom to for, you know, six, seven years before I met my husband. And then we have Gracie, and my husband is retired law enforcement. And so um, retired law enforcement is very straightforward parenting, (laughs) right? Like, let's be honest. And I think as a single mom, too, with Maya, um, my oldest, I was very used to giving her demands in which she would listen to. And the struggle then is with Gracie, things are very different. And so expectations obviously are very different in my house. But I do, you know, to parents who are maybe struggling with that, I just want to say the more that I have been patient with Gracie, um, for instance, today, getting her in the car, I grabbed her stuff. All right, Gracie, come on, let's go get in the car. And she got halfway down the hallway, turned around and booked it back to the kitchen. And like type A parenting, Shannon would be like, I said, get in the car. It's time to go car now. Right. Well, it took her just a moment to realize, well, mom, I had forgotten my water bottle on the island in the kitchen. So she went back to get the water bottle on my. So it's like she wasn't avoiding the demand. You know, she was realizing that she had forgotten something and needed to come back. And it's not like Maya where she would have been like, hold on, got to grab my water bottle. Right. So I think it's just allowing our kids to have the time. Gracie also has apraxia, right? So giving her the time to do what she needs to do. And for the most part, she does what she understands she needs to be doing in the moment. It just doesn't look exactly the way that I feel like it should look like. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that in like your advice to parents who are maybe struggling with that. Um, 
you know, thinking that their kids aren't listening or, you know, they're not doing the things exactly how the parents think that they should. Oh, and, and there's, I mean, you, you just touched on one, but there's so many reasons why Mm -hmm. a child is not able to follow through. And Mm -hmm. for, um, families that are looking for resources, um, I, I have used Dr. Ross Green's, um, Collaborative Proactive Solutions, CPS. Um, he, he has a, a myriad of books, but his, his very first book was The Explosive Child. He's, raw, he's written Human Beings for Educators Lost at School, just phenomenal resources. And, and he, his premise is kids do well if they can. And, and understanding that our, none of our kids are purposely I mean, unless we have somebody that really has a different mental illness, but but most of our autistic kids are not being rebellious. They're not being oppositional. If they're not following through with some instruction, there is a reason why. And like you said, it might be that they just needed to, to do something, but it could be that they had a ritual or a routine that didn't get finished and they have to finish that that video or that they have the things have to be lined up on their dresser correctly, or they didn't do something in the right order when they got dressed and they have to take their clothes off and do it. I mean, there could be a tag that's irritating them. It could be that there is something happening at school that day that they're nervous about, but can't communicate with you. Um, Mm -hmm. It could be that something on the lunch menu is going to be icky. (laughs) It could be, you know, (laughs) there's, there's so many, many reasons. And yet so many of our kids aren't able to answer why. So even if we Mm -hmm. stop to say, well, well, why, you know, they can't tell you. Um, Then we can talk about the number of demands we give our kids that they just don't have the, the capability to follow through. And, if they're afraid they might get the answer wrong, if they are afraid they're going to make a mistake, you know, we're drawing a picture and they know that their picture is not going to be as good as the one that the teacher demonstrated or the one that I drew or their penmanship, they don't know how to spell a word. Any of those not getting it right, making a mistake can cause a child to not want to follow through. Um, there's just so many reasons why and I think, uh, Shannon, you said it exactly right. The first thing that you do is that pause. You give your child time. Let them process. Give yourself time to process. And in utilizing those CPS steps, then I try to figure out, you know, what's the problem? You know, what what is their perspective? So let's say she hadn't gone and grabbed her water bottle and she's just gone. And say, okay, we, we have we have a problem here. And she's verbal. So, you know, mm-hmm. she might fill it in. You know, let's say then she's back, you know, with her Barbies or whatever it is that she has. But like, okay, um, thought we were going to school. And I, I, I'm just going to throw these kind of general little statements out to see what the situation is. Um, and sometimes our kids can communicate that with us. Um, other times we have to do a little bit more digging, but I mean, every one of us knows that with, with so many of 
our autistic or ADHD friends, as soon as we try to engage in that power struggle, I said so, but it's time to go. All we're going to do is, is end up with a, a bigger mess. And I mean, and I... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'd like to say I'm preaching to the choir because, I mean, even now I still, I grew up with a very, you know, she wasn't law enforcement, but you would think my mother was. Um, <laughs> love her dearly. She's amazing. It's so wonderful. But it is, you know, you, you don't ask why and you do it because I said so. Um, yes. and, and so every once in a while I'll be like, what? No, you, you're capable of doing this. And I have to right. stop myself because it's like, well, yeah, maybe yesterday you were capable of, but right now you're not. Maybe you have a tummy ache. Maybe you have a headache. Maybe you didn't sleep well. And all of those things. Um, and and grace. I mean, we have to give ourselves grace. We have to give ourselves patience. And we have to give our kids the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, Maybe that's what's difficult. Maybe that is what... Um, you know, because we've talked about on the podcast that my husband had received an adult diagnosis. Um, so that's out there for us. But maybe that's the hard part of some of the parenting is the lack in consistency. Kind of what you said where you're like, well, you did this yesterday, so you should be able to do this today. But that's not necessarily the case for the kids. And maybe that's just something that's really important for us to keep in mind. I don't know. Something about that kind of resonated with me. Like, yeah. just because you did this. I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think a really, really important piece that I would like to emphasize is what Kristen was saying about the grace, mm -hmm. because you are not going to do this perfectly as a parent. My child <laughs> is having a meltdown and we followed the routine and it's time to leave for school, but something is off and I cannot figure out what it is. And that's okay. I, to expect me as a parent to figure out exactly what's going on sensory wise with my child 100% of the time and be able to resolve that sensory issue before they can move on to the next step is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's it, that it, you're setting yourself up for so much stress and anxiety in your life if you do that. Now, we we need to try and we can make educated guesses and we 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 can, you know, learn from previous experiences with it and you can make those choices and stuff and help them, but you're not going to get it correct every single time. And even if you are making educated guesses, it's still a guess sometimes. It's still a guess. I, I do it all the time with mm -hmm. my children. Um I have two and you know Ruby has a lot more communication and verbal um verbal communication with with me and with everyone else around her. I have a and my son is non-speaking and the my my hit rate, you know, my batting average <laughs> isn't awesome all the time, and it, a lot of it depends on what's going on with them too, and the intensity of that sensory experience, whatever's going on. So it's just I don't know, like it's so important to give yourself that grace and that, and, and to keep trying. Just because you tried something one time doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work the next time. And and two things on that. And, and Grace, also when you screw up, because you're going to screw up and you're late yeah. for a meeting and you need to do this and your needs matter too. And so when you get mad and you lose it and you're like, you just get in the car and, and, and mm -hmm. we do that because we're human beings. And so you have to allow yourself like, okay, okay. You know, even if it's the next day, it's the next evening, whatever. And you can say, you know what, even if your child doesn't understand, like mommy made a mistake, you know, I lost it. I yeah. got angry. Okay. Let's try again, you know, <laughs> Susie, mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and you model, I made a mistake. I can, I can, 
I can fix it. I can own up to it and I'll try again tomorrow. So, so that's one. And, and number two, when, when we start thinking about these reasons, as you were talking, Brittany, I was thinking, you know, just about some of my kids here and, and, you know, from a day to day, um, we often will follow a very similar routine and, when we sit down for story time, there's lots of them that um, then all of a sudden are struggling. And, and so I'm always having to do that, you know, what's going on. Is it because it is a non-interested, you know, topic? If it's about animals, they're going to be interested, but it's not. It's about this or it's trains and they are. So it could be that. But I mean, sometimes when I finally figure it out, I realize that somebody got a haircut or somebody Mm -hmm. else dropped off somebody else. And so, you know, Susie's dad brought her instead of mom and that threw off Billy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes these tiniest little changes in the routine that we don't even think about can cause an entire, the rest of the day now, my child over here is their stim is going to be through the roof. And it's Mm -hmm. like, what's going on? Yesterday you sat and you participated and it's like, but today you can't? Why? Oh, somebody, you know, there there was a different seat in the car because grandpa was, you know, I mean, there's just all these little things and one little change in that routine and variation can cause some of our kids to just dysregulate. And then they have this increased need to stim or perseverate or um, whatever it is that helps them regulate. And they can't communicate that to us. Or if they do, we say it's not a big deal. (laughs) Which is not a good thing. Right. Sorry, what'd you say, Shannon? That's a good reminder. I wish wish that we could, we need to turn that into a reel, Brittany. And then we need to like post it once or like once or twice a month, just like as a reminder (laughs) on the page, because I think it's hard. I think it's hard to remember that because as a neurotypical person, my mind doesn't work that way. So sometimes I need reminders that those little things really can, something so insignificant to me can be so jarring to my child because it's just not. You, know, you mean you, know, you mean you don't lose it when somebody puts the big spoon in the small spoon section of the drawer? <laughs> what do I you mean? mean? I do, but Brittany does. Yeah. Brittany okay. Does. All right. Good deal, Brittany. <laughs> I just think that's it's so important. I think to remember that. And as you know, this type A control. Brittany and I are both control freaks, like self-diagnosed control freaks. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I have this very um, definitive way of like the way that my day is supposed to go. And I've had to really like readjust the way that I think. And um, some days, like you said, there is a meeting and you do need to get in the car and we do need to go. Um, But on the days that are not like that, I have started just saying, if we need to be 10 minutes late to school, we're going to be 10 minutes late to school. Because if I can deliver you 10, 15 minutes late and you have gotten what you needed and you're walking into school happy, like I'm delivering a much better Gracie <laughs> to the situation mm-hmm. than if I force you into the car and I get you to school on time and you have not been able to complete whatever it is that you're looking for. And now your yep. whole day is shot. You and know? if and if their ch- if your child's hair is not brushed or they're in their pajamas or they didn't take a bath then all of those things should be 
understood by the child's daycare provider or teacher or therapist, wherever it is that they're going. And so, I mean, and even our parents who we, we, we tell this again and again and again, it's like, they'll be like, oh, we're late. You know, so-and-so had a meltdown getting dressed. And it's like, Ugh. I mean, and I don't do that angrily, but it's like, mm-hmm. who cares if they don't want to get dressed, just bring them in their pajamas. Either they can have a jam a day or we can help them get dressed when they're here or take your time at home and do it, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, we can help with, you know, the hair brushing or the hair washing. Um, and if they're, you know, that's something that can be written into an IEP um, or a 504 plan or whatever those, you know, kids need or in their goals in whatever their therapy program is. Um, but it, it's so far, that's what you and I were talking before we started, Shannon. It's like, we need to learn to adapt our homes, our environments to the way we live instead of this is the way it should be. Um, and, you know, we're supposed to get up and get dressed and do this, but who says we have to do that at home? You know, maybe it's easier to do that once they make that transition or at that next place. Mm-hmm. I will say, I mean, I joke, I joke all the time about you know, putting the big spoon in the little spoon and being inflexible and being like, I like things organized and da, 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 da. It's true. But if I can offer one generalized piece of advice to any parent, especially if you're starting out on these types of autism experiences, is you, most of the time, your child is going to have inflexible periods or moments or situations where it's really, really hard for them to adapt and to be flexible. And so therefore, it's good for us parents to learn how to do it, not necessarily for them, but maybe to model that or to be, you know, show that example, just like we've been saying over and over and over again, you're 10 minutes late to school, big deal, pajamas at school, whatever, and hair not brushed. You need to be able to kind of let some of that go. And my children have taught me that. And it's still very natural for me want to want to control all those things, mm-hmm. but I very much have learned to just let it go. You know, we're having a bad day. Okay, we're not going to do this than that. We're we're going to cancel this thing. Whatever. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for your peace of mind or mine. Right. It, <laughs> so it, much. And, and the oh, go ahead. yeah. And the, the way that you even like live in your home, the way, you know, Gracie draws all over her walls right now and, <laughs> and they're letting the, her, her walls and her bedroom become her art canvas. Who says that you can't do that? Do whatever is best for your family. Make your own rules. Make your own. Yeah. Make your own rules. I exactly. meant to post on our Instagram the other day, but I literally, you guys, I took Gracie to school the other day with um, she had basically drawn a beard on her face with washable nice. marker. Um, okay. The problem is even washable marker when left on too long is not really all the way washable. Um, Gracie went to school with like what was left with a gray beard on her on her chin, you know, Five o'clock and, shadow. Yeah. And like that is not something that Shannon pre Gracie like would have been able to handle. So, you know. We just, just, just let it go. Just let it go. Yeah. Well, and Brittany, I loved what you said about modeling because mm-hmm. it's amazing what I have learned having the privilege of of working with um, neurodivergent children for the last thirty some years. It 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 just is. I am so much a better person, and we model all day long. And when something is too loud, what can we do? Um, 
and if it if we make a mistake, if we color out of the lines, if we lose all of those things. And and to me, one of the the best parts of my day is when I hear one of my littles saying those things back to us. And I, I was playing in the kitchen with one of my guys and he made me, I don't eat meat. And so he made me something. I was like, oh, I don't like burgers. And he looked at me and he's like, oh, just touch it. You don't have to eat. Don't have to. And it's like, <laughs> that is adorable. And and yeah. it is. And he, th- this guy has five safe foods and eats, you know, but, but every day it's not, he's, he's now mm-hmm. learned to put the food on his plate, which, you know, used to be launched, of course, crest, but, but it's like, he knows <laughs> we trust him. We, we hope that, you know, he maybe will increase his diet, but if he doesn't, you know, his parents are, have figured out a way to make sure he's getting all the nutrients that he needs. And, you know, it, and he knows he's secure in that he doesn't have to. And it's like those kinds yeah. of things when we hear our kids, when you then make a mistake, if you're, you know, I'm like, oh, you take breath, you know, and it's like, yes, that's Aww. right. Thank you for telling me. You're right. Aww. I do need to take a deep breath. And, and, and those are the, th- you know, you're doing the things right when the, those are the messages that our kids are hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're taking that information that those tools that we've been giving them and they're applying them and generalizing them to other people. That's exactly what we want to teach those kids. That's amazing. All right. We're going to pivot here for a second. Unless Shannon, do you want to talk about parent empowerment anymore? Yeah. Well, I think I just think that that's important because we were talking about, you know, potty training and we were talking about, you know, not all ABA being good ABA and, um, you know, Brittany brought up potty training. We had an instance once. I won't go into it because that could take hours, but the plan was not working. And I said, okay, you are no longer in charge of potty training. I'm in charge of potty training. Take it off the goals, you know? So I think just reiterating to parents, like how do we empower parents to say, you are hiring professionals. No one knows your child like you do. And you you are the gate. You're the gatekeeper. So yeah. you get to really decide yeah. what goes. And and I'd like to say it's not just ABA. I mean, ABA yeah. for sure, but I have mm-hmm. met many OTs and speech and language and teachers mm-hmm. and, and principals and other people who are educated, who are brilliant, who maybe have phenomenal practices um, or classrooms but don't have the expertise in working with a nonverbal autistic child or with a child with ADHD or maybe just don't understand neurodivergence. And mm-hmm. and so recognizing that what they're saying might be true for child A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but it's not for your child um, Z mm-hmm. over here. And so it's okay to say it's not working. Nope, I don't want that. Nope, we have to reevaluate that. Um, and it, and whenever I diagnose a, a child with autism, if I'm recommending therapy, I always give them a long list of questions to ask. And that's one of the questions: is what would you do, you know, to the provider that you're going to, you know, what happens if I want to change a therapy goal? What if I don't like the goal that you have or the way that it's working or one of the staff are doing or, or whatever it is? Because we have to have that empowerment. We, the parent has to be able to say, nope, that's not going to work for, for my child. It maybe doesn't work for their own family values or for their, you know, what they're looking for because, how you raise your child is up to you. It's not the teachers or the principals or the therapist or the speech or the you know the psychologist. You know, 
even if it's not whatever right means, it's not our choice. It's your child and you're the parent. And so you get to be the one that chooses how you raise your child. Yeah, I think that's so important. I I think a rule of thumb I've learned over the years is if I'm feeling like some either a goal or something that we're working on, I'm working on with professionals to help my child. If I'm not feeling like it's appropriate or if it's a good fit, I will ask them to re-explain it to me mm-hmm. or to to go over it with me in a way like can we can we can you explain this to me in a different way so maybe I understand why we're doing this, right? And if after I'm receiving that explanation, maybe even more than once, and I'm still not feeling like it's right, that's when I will come back and say, you know what? I just don't think this is going to work. Let's come up with a different plan. And we'll we'll try to just rework whatever that is in a different way. Um, sometimes it's not necessarily – it can be one or the other, right? Sometimes it's both. Maybe, maybe the idea is a good idea, but it's just not being executed in the proper way, or it's not being explained to me in a way that I'm understanding what you're saying. Because, you know, we all have different experiences in education and, and, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We, we have a different, so, some experts really have more experience with me in this field, but they just don't know my child. So mm-hmm. there, there can be a disconnect that way, I guess is what was what I mean. But, but yeah, there's different ways to approach it just because an expert is telling you that this is the way it has to be. Isn't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Um, so just keep that in mind. All right. Um, so Dr. Wagner, can you tell us a little bit about your book series and how that came to be? Uh, you told me this story once and I just, I would love our listeners to hear it. As sure. Well. <laughs> um, the, the very first book, which is sometimes I roar, um, I wrote the first couple of, of stanzas, golly gee, um, at least 25 years ago, if not longer, I had gone to a birthday party of a child who has autism, but at the time was not diagnosed. And he shut the door in his uncle's face because his uncle was five minutes late. He um, returned my gift because he was no longer studying crystals. He had moved on to Egypt, um, you know, had a complete meltdown at the singing time because it was loud and, you know, overwhelming. And, you know, my heart just broke because here's this child who everybody and, you know, parents want their child to have this great birthday and everybody has these expectations, but it, it it didn't match what his needs were at all. And so, um, I just, I perseverate on things a lot. And so when I got home, I, I kind of wrote some of the, the, the first couple of stanzas down and it sat in my drawer, um, in my little journal thing for, for decades. Um, and then, um, I, I have a physical disability. I have had two hip replacements and um, unfortunately have nerve damage. They cut one of my nerves in one of my hip replacements. And so I, I can't walk or, or go upstairs or, um, I mean, I can walk, but not, not well. Um, long story short, I, I really am struggling on what to do with myself on the weekends. And, <laughs> um, and it's hard to have a pool and blah, 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 blah. So long story short, um, I it's like, oh, I should, I should get that, that, that book out and I should write those, those books. So I, I dug out that, um, those little notes that I had taken, you know, previously and, and started writing it. And, and the other thing besides needing a, a, another thing to do in my life, um, because as we talked about, I, you know, I'll, I have to always be doing something, um, even in 2023, and the same was true in 2022 and 2021 and 2020 and 2019. 
still every single day I get phone calls from parents of a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old who have known from the time their child was one or two that they were on the spectrum and nobody listened to them. And I, I, I have, you know, it blows my mind. I don't, I mean, pediatricians have so much to do. Doctors have so much to do. Teachers have so much to do. But as much understanding and awareness as there is about autism, people still don't understand what autism is. And they don't understand um, that autism is a spectrum and it's so different. And so here's these kids that have missed out and have had those birthday parties and have had those failed doctor's appointments and have had to be restrained for a haircut or restrained for a blood draw or all of these horrible events, you know, or kicked out of kindergarten or daycare or blah, blah, blah. And, and so it was, what can I do? And, and that's why I'm doing much more diagnosing um, now and not doing as much therapy because um, the wait list for diagnosing in our area had gotten up to 18 months long, which is also completely ridiculous. Um, and so, wow. exactly. So, you know, so I, I was like, I just need to do more. I need to do more. I need to do more. I mean, that's always been my, you know, that's kind of my little mm-hmm. motto. And so it's like, okay, maybe if I can help parents, empower parents, and that's actually one of the, the, mission statements of Brody is to empower children and parents. Um, If I can help them so that they don't take no for an answer, that they don't take wait and see, that they understand that their child covering their ears or screaming or pushing that present away or slamming the door or any of these behaviors are not because they're bad parents are not because their child is oppositional, but are actually because their child is just neurodivergent. And so if I could empower parents through a children's book, um, maybe I would be able to reach more people. And so that was the the reason for it. And, you know, be, as we've discussed, I'm a little obsessive or whatever it is we want to call me. Um, and so I wrote one and then the next one and the next one and the next one. So we have five at this point. Um, I, I'm at a pause now because I've spent all of my life savings in publishing these books. So we're at, we're at a little break right now. Um, there's no money in the children's book market, but that's not why I did it. So I'm not doing it to make any money. Um, I do sell them, but, but maybe at some point when I'm dead, it will, you know, we'll, we'll recoup the, the funds. Um, but they are um, just a, a passion to try and, and make a difference in this world. Yeah, they're adorable. And it's it's the Brody the Lion series, correct? And you can find them anywhere. We'll make sure and post a yeah. link um, for them. But uh, they're adorable books and they they can help. It's it's like a social story. It's in a way, it's yeah. a social story. It's yeah. it's a way to not only help parents, but to help children. Um, and it's, you know, a cute little lion and his his journey with his sensory needs. So I love that. Um, and his friends too. He's got friends in there. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Anything else that, is there anything else that we have not covered, Kristen, that you feel like you would like to say before we wrap it up? I, I want you to make sure that you've crossed everything off of your list. I, th- I think we're good. I mean, I think all of okay. us could sit here and talk for, for days and days, but oh, I mean, I think it has re- it has reached a, a very, a, I mean, it was just a very natural conversation and hopefully we've given people some, some information and, um, I mean, my, my message box is always open and I'm always responding. Just don't look at the date stamp or the time stamp at three in the morning when you're, you know, I'm responding to you. Um, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. That's, 
That's great. We really appreciate you being open and willing to chat with whoever. We'll make sure and have your information on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we would love to have you back on again another time. Yes. We can talk more, get more in depth about specific subjects, but I think this is a great jumping off point. A lot of our listeners are very confused, interested, but but I mean, there's, there's a wide range of emotions. There's confusion, there's interest, there's intimidation, there's overwhelm all around this umbrella of ABA and what it is or or just that that therapy in general of doing a an intense you know behavior or a play-based therapy um, for their child because that's what's recommended usually when you get a diagnosis at mm-hmm. least in my experience around where I live um so yeah I think we can all agree that that there are wonderful things about ABA but the more play-based natural organic, style w- paired with the ABA, I, we think it's probably the best combination. I don't know if that's the exact right way to say it, but I think you don't know what I mean. So um, yeah, keep that in mind as you're searching and looking for providers and and doing your research on what's appropriate for your child. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. So we really appreciate you being on. Thank you. Um, Thank you we'll for having a- me. Yeah, we'll do a quick little peek of the week. Um, I don't know if uh, we talked about this, but we try to end the, our episodes with something that happened over the last week that was, you know, a good thing. It, it could be brought a smile to your face. It can be a personal thing. It can be a work related thing. It can be a family member, whatever. It's just something that brought you a little joy or um, was something to, you know, bring a smile to your face. So, Shannon, what do you got this week? Um, okay, so this week I was telling uh, Kristen that we right now we're actually getting turf installed in the backyard, but because of our life, we first went and bought a massive roll of turf and we rolled it out in the backyard to see how Gracie would handle the turf. Does she like yeah. the turf? Does she hate the turf? Before I spend way too much money getting it installed in the backyard. Smart. Um, and she actually loved the turf. She's like running in circles and spinning and falling. And um, that was perfection and all we needed. So we are now getting turf installed in the backyard. Um, so I do not have to deal with massive amounts of dust and dirt and dogs covered in mud. So that is my peak of the week. <laughs> Less dirt. It's always Less a good peak. <laughs> awesome. Kristen, what do you have for us? Well, I shared with you my, my awesome little story about the guy that said I didn't have to eat the burger. That was great. But but for personally, um, yeah, um, I the only exercise I can do is swim. And um, sometimes I can go to the gym, but the extra walking to the locker room and changing is really difficult on me. And so um, during COVID, my husband, um, uh, it sounds hysterical, but um, it, it's really awesome, um, bought me a cow tank. Um, and he had has a, um, put a heater in it. He's a carpet contractor. And so I have a wood burning stove that heats up a, a, an old cow tank. Um, it's beautiful blue. It just sounds goofy. Um, and then I um, have a, <laughs> a rope tied to my deck so that I can, can swim. And so it, finally warm enough in Wisconsin. Um, and this year he insulated it so that um, even though we'll get a couple freezes yet, um, I'll be, I get, was able to start a month earlier. So I was able to fill the pool and heat it up and swim this weekend. So it was, you know, just phenomenal to, I, I could live underwater. I just, it's my, my go-to amazing. place. What a, yeah. what a That's great amazing. adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love I've it. seen pictures online of those. Like those can be really cool. I've yeah. seen people do Yeah, that. it's it's fab. Yeah. When he first told me he was buying me a cow tank, I pictured this weird you black were... clay, but yeah. Um but you know, very literal. So you're all in. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So for me, um, we were able I kind of was I was determined yesterday to spend some quality one-on-one time with my two neurotypical boys. Um, sometimes they get really kind of pushed to the side, not intentionally, but just because of needs and autism. It's, you know, they, and they're very independent. They can take care of themselves in many, many ways, but I wanted to give them some time and attention. So come hell or high water, we figured out a way and we got everybody settled down for the night and we sat down and we played a board game and had some brownies and watched funny YouTube clips together and just spent some time with those two kids. And I think it was, it needs to happen more often. It didn't take very long. Um, but, uh, and you know, of course my husband and I completely got walloped in the board game. They beat us because <laughs> they chose the game. doesn't, you know, it was still fun. And, um, that's kind of, I'm going to try to keep that in mind moving forward and try to try to do that a little bit more often. So anyway, mm-hmm. thank it. you everyone for being here today. Uh, we really appreciate, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please, um, contact us or Dr. Wagner if you are interested in, in anything specific. If you have more questions, maybe questions for a future episode with her, let us know. Uh, you can contact us at our email at hello at moms talk autism. Our Instagram is at moms talk autism. And what is the best email address for you, Kristen? Sure. The um, email address, Kristen at Brody, the lion.com or the Instagram handle or is at Brody dot the dot lion. Awesome. And Brody is B-R-O-D-Y. Correct. We'll post them too. Yeah. But yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, Tell a friend about this episode, pass it along. We want everyone to hear um, Dr. Wagner and her story and just spread more, more knowledge about these really important topics. I think they touch all of us um, Mm -hmm. at whatever level you are with therapy. So have a great day, everybody. Bye guys. Bye-bye.